You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast, hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson. Each month, we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. To find out more about the journal and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. Welcome to another edition of the American Journal of Perinatology podcast series. It is my privilege today to welcome Dr. William Grobman, Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University, on behalf of his co-authors to discuss their manuscript, Racial Ethnic Disparities in Measures of Self-Reported Psychosocial States and Traits During Pregnancy. In obstetrics, it is well known that there are racial disparities in some adverse obstetrical outcomes, such as small for gestational age and preterm birth. While the etiology for these disparities are unknown, differential experiences of stress may influence these outcomes via alterations in endocrine or immune function. The goal of this investigation was to evaluate measures of psychosocial stress across a cohort of pregnant women. This study is part of the New Moms-to-Be study, Nuliparous Pregnancy Outcome Study, Monitoring Mothers-to-Be. In this study, the authors followed longitudinally a cohort of nulliparous women during their first pregnancy. At three visits, 6 to 14 weeks, 16 to 22 weeks, and 22 to 30 weeks, each participant completed validated instruments to quantify several psychosocial domains. The scores on these instruments were stratified and compared to race, ethnicity, and income. These instruments measured perceived stress, trait anxiety, perception of racism, ratio of intensity of hassles to uplifts, depression, as well as presence of social support. The authors collected complete data on 8,128 women. Race, ethnicity was defined as non-Hispanic white, non-Hispanic black, Hispanic, Asian, or other. Comparisons were made based on whether an individual score was in the quartile representing the greatest psychosocial burden or the greatest stress or least social support. In this data, race ethnicity was significantly associated with psychosocial scores with non-Hispanic black most likely to score in the most unfavorable category, indicating greater perceived stress, anxiety, higher perceived racism, higher ratio of intensity of hassles to uplifts, and less social support. Asian women were most likely to have the highest ratio of frequency of hassles to uplifts and least resilience. In most cases, low income status did not influence these findings. For this study, other maternal factors such as BMI or medical complications were not evaluated. The authors conclude that in a large geographically and racially ethnically diverse population, there are measurable differences in these psychosocial experiences based on race and ethnicity. Such information may provide insight into the social determinants of some adverse pregnancy outcomes. Dr. Grobman, thank you very much for joining us today on this podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. What were your and your co-authors' motivations for undertaking this study? I think in understanding our motivation, it really is useful to think about the entire study or the entire study population that was used. 
This analysis is from a larger study in which 10,000 pregnant women uh, on their first pregnancy were consented and enrolled and followed throughout pregnancy in an effort to better understand and predict what factors might contribute to or be the cause of preterm birth. Within that context, this study very specifically wanted to begin to investigate the role that stress or the stress that someone experiences in their life may contribute. That we believe is such an important thing but has been not well studied or certainly consistently shown and we believe that this data set that was again collected from 10,000 people prospectively with intensive study visits as well as chart abstraction gave us the potential to understand it a bit better than has been understood before. Can you describe the overall population of the participants in this? Where were they located and your motivations in kind of defining this population? Sure. The participants were, as I said, just over 10,000 women in the overall study, in fact, 10,038. As I mentioned, they were women going to have their first delivery with a, a pregnancy that lasted beyond 20 weeks. And, and they were women who were uh, both uh, geographically and socioeconomically and uh, racially and ethnically diverse. They were enrolled at eight centers around the country. Those centers range from the west of the United States to the northeast of the United States to the south of the United States to the Midwest of the United States. As I said, they were from a swath of the population that included all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups. It seems that this cohort sort of achieved what the overall cohort goal was to sort of mirror the population demographics of the overall United States. Yeah, I think in a very general sense that was absolutely what this wanted, this cohort was designed to do. Again, since its overall intent was to investigate more deeply the prediction of and causes of preterm birth, it made quite a bit of sense to have a population that at least generally reflected the population of the United States. So your analysis of this part of that overall new moms-to-be study focuses on stress and dealing with patients and watching the media. I think stress is experienced or defined in many different ways. Can you sort of summarize a definition of how you guys de describe stress or what you were trying to get at looking at stress? Yeah, so I think you bring up a really good and important point, which is that stress has been and is defined in so many different ways. And, and in fact, when you go back and look at some of the inconsistent findings in prior research studies with regard to stress and adverse pregnancy outcomes. Uh, many people have postulated that one of the reasons for that is because of the different definitions that have been used. There really isn't a single gold standard, either you know, biologic assay or survey that truly captures and quantifies the totality of stress or is understood to do so. And so in this study, several surveys were used with the concept that they captured different domains, at least related to how stress might be physiologically translated in someone's body. So you can imagine one way you could measure stress was that you would measure, you would ask people about their stressful life events that have happened to them. But you also might see that two people who have the exact same events happen to them might react to those events in very different ways. At the end of the day, what's not important is some external event but the impact that that external event has upon an individual and does it cause, you know, again, physiologic changes. And so just measuring one domain, life events, 
may not really give you insight into that sort of translational aspect of stress that someone's feeling. So in any case, we attempted to, to try to deal with that possibility by looking at several surveys. You can kind of get a sense about what these surveys are about by their title. So one was the perceived stress scale, assessing how much someone is perceiving the stress in their life. One is the resilience scale, which is almost giving you a sense of, well, even if I have stress, stressful events coming in at me, I have a resilience that lets me deal with them in a way that those stressful events may not be as harmful for me. Uh, the scale of perceived social support, similar at least conceptually to this concept of resilience. I can name the other ones if you'd like, but I think the concept is more important, which is several different scales trying to get at different aspects of stress. The events, things that temper stress, and things that may exacerbate those events. I think that's a great summary. Taking the next step, I think I have two questions and and then looking at stress and trying to see how that may influence outcomes. Do we have a theory or other data to describe how biologically stress can influence these adverse outcomes in pregnancy? Yeah, I think there's several theories, and if you wanted, we could certainly go back and find some support, but I think fair to say not conclusive support for which one of these theories or if is correct or if all of them are correct or if all of them are incorrect. I'll give you just two very quick ones that I think are high on the list and I think are worthwhile to talk about. So one would be by affecting the hypothalamic pituitary axis. And so I think most people are, or many people are familiar with this kind of concept of when someone's stressed out, that they get, let's say, more cortisol or an exaggerated cortisol response. But there's some evidence that over time, particularly if someone's, so there's that acute issue, uh, but then there's also evidence that over time, if someone has chronic stress, which I think many people feel is really the more likely to be causative or related to adverse pregnancy outcomes or other long-term health issues, there's evidence that that cortisol response, how cortisol is produced, can be altered. And so there's a reason to believe that that can have ultimate effects on total of physiology and, and pregnancy outcome. There's also some evidence that the immune system is altered in the setting of chronic stress, particularly. Of course, the immune system is key in terms of pregnancy outcome, and so uh, that would be another pathway through which sort of the biology of stress, if you will, could manifest in terms of leading to adverse pregnancy outcomes, but also fair to say that you know, nothing has been definitively determined, and again, part of this goes back to this issue of that it's so hard to define exactly who is truly stressed and what stress is. I think the second part of the question that I have for that, or that the listeners may have, is how do we know if the stress comes first and then alters these biologic mechanisms, the hormonal or immune system, or is there an underlying illness that sets that up that then affects stress? I think that's an excellent question, and I think you wouldn't if all you knew about someone was what are their responses on the surveys. But again, I would focus on that this was, at least in this study that I'm talking about, was a prospective cohort study where information was gathered, you know, moving forward before pregnancy outcomes were known, and lots of other data were gathered in order to determine other maternal comorbidities or things that are going on in women's lives. So, for example, we would know from this data set, you know, is it someone with X illness so that we, and they just are sort of happen to be have excessive stress as well, maybe related to that illness, and that's the reason that they have an adverse pregnancy outcome. 
or we know that someone has no discernible comorbidity, that they are just like their peer in the data set. They have the same age, they have the same race, ethnicity, they have the same whatever demographic factors you want, they have no comorbidity, but then what they differ on is how they perceive, experience, relate to stress in their life. So I think that gives a good sort of summary of what your group was going for. There seems to be a biologic association between these measures of perceived stress and not only just the presence of stress, but how somebody copes with this stress and that may have effects on the endocrine or immune system. And that's the biologic plausibility for how this may affect adverse pregnancy outcomes. Yes, exactly. What were your key findings then from your study? I do want to make clear right from the start that this study itself doesn't include adverse pregnancy outcomes that we thought the first analysis that needed to be done was, you know, even before that, and trying to understand differences in stress among the population. And I think very specifically this study, although we haven't touched on it yet, you know, one thing that is very uh, important with regard to adverse pregnancy outcomes is a very dramatic racial and ethnic disparity that exists in, in the United States. And most specifically, black women have a two to threefold higher risk of preterm birth than white women, and that disparity is not understood. And the reasons for that disparity are not understood, and it is, you know, a massive public health problem, as well as a massive individual problem for individuals who experience preterm birth and adverse pregnancy outcomes, uh, you know, associated with it. So in terms of thinking, well, what could account for that disparity? One might say that what might account for those that disparity in outcomes are differences in social factors. Some people would put under the rubric of social determinants of health. And so this was a study really ultimately leading up to more studies, but this analysis is going to lead up to further analyses that investigate pregnancy outcomes, but wanted to do the initial assessment, which is answer the very basic question, are these measures different among women in this large, diverse cohort? And is that really tied to race ethnicity, or are there other simple factors that could account for it that one might seem at first pass like race ethnicity, but it ends up not being? So for example, could there be differences in race ethnicity, but that's really just a reflection of different income levels, and when you account for income levels, that racial ethnic disparity goes away. And conversely, if that weren't to be true, and even after accounting for income levels, that racial ethnic disparity doesn't go away, then we might say this is a factor, stress, that we really do want to investigate more with regard to differences among women of different race, ethnicity, and try to understand how much of a role uh, it could be playing and ultimately in the differences in adverse pregnancy outcomes. So I think the takeaway message is that race, ethnicity was significantly associated with the scores and responses that women had on these multiple different surveys that were done, and specifically non-Hispanic black women generally were the most likely to demonstrate scores that exhibited the greatest predisposition to stress and translation of that stress to adverse physiologic outcomes. So for example, they demonstrated the greatest perceived stress, the greatest trait anxiety, the greatest perception of racism, the greatest depressive symptoms. They were also in the category with the least social support. So I think all these things, you know, really demonstrate the potential uh, burden psychosocially uh, that non-Hispanic black women, again, not every single person, but that as a group 
are experiencing and that's really disparate from the women in the population. I also want to point out that that difference, that disparity that was seen was not at all removed when income status was taken into account. So, for example, that isn't just a manifestation. Someone couldn't just say, oh, well, it's more likely that non-Hispanic black women were to be of lower income and it's really a lack of income that's driving that difference. It was equally evident among women of higher income status and, in fact, women, non-Hispanic black women of higher income actually on a couple of measures, the disparity or the difference with non-Hispanic white women was even greater than for non-Hispanic black women of lower income, not just an effective income. Specifically, I know in this study, the goal was just to find these differences and wasn't to, at this point, look at obstetric outcome or try to evaluate things like maternal BMI or other medical morbidities. That is correct. At the end of the day, there are just so many analyses and factors, and this was very specifically, this analysis was just designed to answer and address this very specific question. Is there a disparity in, again, I'll just say sort of stress, understanding that that means all these different factors. Is there a difference in stress among pregnant women, among nulliparous pregnant women, based on race, ethnicity, and can that simply be explained by differences in income? Is a focused question. If we kind of go back to first principles, there haven't even been such large studies examining these surveys in a pregnant population in their first pregnancy across the country. So that alone and the description of how pregnant women respond to these surveys is a substantive piece of information. There's only so much you can do in any one analysis. I agree. I think some of the strengths of this study are the representative population that you have, the large number of patients that you have, and a fairly global approach to how we define stress using multiple different evaluation tools. That said, so what next? How do you suggest either a clinician use this information or a researcher use this information? What are the plans to move forward? As we've sort of danced about during this conversation, what this doesn't address is the ultimate aim, which is how these factors are now related to adverse pregnancy outcomes, which is ultimately, and preterm birth specifically, ultimately what this study and this larger study was interested in. So I think really the next thing for us and for our team is going to be trying to now see, knowing the disparity in factors that exist, seeing if we can determine accounting for other differences in the population, whether or not these responses on surveys are associated with or can predict the chance that someone has a preterm birth and, and also whether or not these can account for the racial and ethnic disparity that's seen. Again, which remains the ultimate ideology of that disparity remains understood and so it'd be a very valuable thing to understand if, or to demonstrate really that once you understand what someone's sort of stress experience is, you could also count for or explain uh, why a disparity in preterm birth exists. Dr. Rubin, are there any other key points from this investigation that you would like to share with our listeners? No, I think you've really brought up the highlights and the high points, and I really appreciate you asking such great questions. Dr. Grobman, thanks for joining us today and talking about this study. We obviously wish you uh, continued success down this path, and thanks very much again for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, 
go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next time when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology. Thank you.